We've been in a series where we've been talking about relationships, and we're really trying to focus on key components that make for healthy, good relationships. And that's kind of where we want to continue. You know, I heard a story about a young woman, and she made an appointment with her pastor because she was just, she was overwhelmed with a sin, and she felt like she really needed to sit down and talk with the pastor and come, come up with a game plan with how she could combat and have victory over the sin. So she made the appointment, and they finally got together. And when she sat down, she says, Pastor, she says, I've become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. Every time I'm at church, I begin to look around at all the other women, and I realize I'm the prettiest one in the whole congregation. What can I do about, um, about this sin? And the pastor replied, he says, that's not a sin, that's a mistake. <laughs> So we, two weeks ago, or last week, we, we, we talked about uh, the idea of, of uh, transparency, integrity, you know, knowing that the other person, you're, you're, there's an honesty factor there. It's hard to build a really deep, trusting, thriving relationship if there's not a level of trust that each has for each other. So we talked about this idea of integrity and having that trust factor. This weekend, we want to talk about the idea of um, this idea of humility. Because if, if we're coming into the relationship hot, proud, uh, then that changes kind of how the, the dynamic of the relationship. And so uh, this weekend we want to look at how if we come in with, with a humble heart, it can change any relationship, whether it's a husband-wife relationship or a, a, a parent-child ch- relationship or just a friend-to-friend relationship. Uh, but here's what I found. When we talk about pride, when we talk about humility, there really seems to be, on the continuum, there seems to be two extremes. One is uh, we sometimes think too lowly of ourselves. And we put ourselves down and we're just dirt and we're, we're horrible and we can't take a compliment and all that other stuff. The other extreme is that we just, we just think too highly of ourselves and we blow our own horn and we're the greatest thing since sliced bread and all. And, and Paul gives us some balance here. He says this in Romans 12. He says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. So Paul's essentially saying, Don't think too highly or too lowly of yourself. Think the way God thinks about you. And when you do that, you'll, you'll balance it out pretty well. So this weekend, what we want to do is we want to look at this king in the Old Testament. And he had a real problem with pride. And God taught him a really hard lesson about humility. And so we want to learn that lesson because somebody has said, and I think it's true, that, 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 that wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others but not doing what they did. In other words, you don't have to pay the dumb tax. You get to learn from their mistakes and not have to pay that dumb tax and go through it too. And so that's what we want to learn. We want to learn from this, this uh, passage of Scripture and not pay the dumb tax. And we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. And uh, in your chair, if you don't have a Bible, the chairs in front of you have these Bibles. And if you turn to page 670, we'll be in Daniel chapter 4. And that's the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, I want to read just verses 4 and 5. That'll give you the context of where we're at. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in bed. So here's this king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now I'm going to make an assumption that there are some of you within this audience that don't know who King Nebuchadnezzar is, don't really know who Daniel is, you don't know much about the the story and the, the period. Let me just give you a quick background. So what's going on here is the nation of Israel has been taken into captivity to Babylon. And many of the people have been taken as slaves into Babylon. Some of these uh, slaves are young men. One of the young, young men is Daniel. And they remain slaves for 70 years in captivity. So the nation of Israel is taken to the Babylonian captivity, and they were there for 70 years. At the beginning of this captivity, there was a king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he took young men like Daniel and he trained them and they were educated in the Babylonian culture, religion and customs. And so Daniel and some of his other friends became some of King uh, Nebuchadnezzar's advisors. So when he had to have a dream interpreted or needed wisdom or something, he would consult them. And so he has one of these dreams. Daniel is brought to him and he is has a track record now with Nebuchadnezzar in interpreting dreams. You can read all about that in the first couple of chapters of, of, of Daniel, the book of Daniel. But the king has this dream, and he's not sure what it means. And so he calls in Daniel, and Daniel is able to give him the interpretation. And essentially, the dream is this. And I'll I'll just give you a summary of the dream because we don't have time to read through the passage. But essentially, the dream is this. There's this big tree. So he goes to bed. He dreams of this large tree. It's in the middle of the earth, uh, and it it gives life, and it, it, it is vitality. It gives life. The birds are feeding off of it. It's, it's just gigantic. And, it's, and in the midst of all of that, a voice from heaven comes down and basically says, cut the tree down. And the tree is cut down. Its life is gone. Its prosperity is gone. And all that's left is a stump. So this is the dream that this king has. And so it's one thing to have this dream. It's another thing to know, what in the world does this dream mean? Well, Daniel is the one who brings the interpretation of the dream. And he essentially says to King Nebuchadnezzar, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the tree. It's your kingdom. Your kingdom is about ready to be cut down. You are the most prosperous king in the world today, and it's all going to go away. It's going to be gone. You are going to be nothing more than a lifeless stump. That's essentially what he's saying. And so what Daniel does after he gives this interpretation is he calls the king to repent. And repent's a simple word. It just means to do a 180. It means stop going in the direction you're going. Stop, turn around, and go towards God. And so this is what Daniel says. And this is chapter 4, verse 27. And this is Daniel speaking. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So Daniel's saying your only hope is that you repent. If you repent and if you humble yourself, it's possible that this may not happen. So a year later, guess what? It happens. And I want to read you that account. Verse 29, chapter 4. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on a flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. 
By my own power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. He couldn't even get these words out of his mouth. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice came down from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. At that point, Nebuchadnezzar began to graze as a madman for seven years. So as I said before, sometimes we have a too low view of ourselves. We often think of ourselves as too low or too high. But as we look at Nebuchadnezzar, uh, there's a couple of lessons that we can learn. The first one is this. It's always easier to humble yourself rather than to have God humble you. It's always easier to humble yourself rather than to have God humble you. Humility came to Nebuchadnezzar by God. And that's the most powerful king in the world. Now he's grazing like a cow in the weeds. The Bible says in 1 Peter, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And what I'm suggesting here is relationships thrive when there's true humility that's brought in by both parties, whoever it is and whatever the relationship is. You think about that. It makes sense. When, uh, when, when um, we feel as though we're not worried about winning arguments, we're not worried about getting our share. We're not worried about going first or getting the best. It goes a long way in developing a relationship when we say, you know what, I don't have to win this argument. I don't need to go first. I don't need to win. Uh, I, you know, When we defer to others, when we downplay offenses, when we maintain a reasonable view of ourselves and our accomplishments, healthy relationships are much more likely to take place when both parties come together with this attitude, with a humble attitude. You know, I just think about my marriage with Carol, and many of the times when, when things aren't going well, it's because of, and I'll take the blame for it, you know, I can take most of the blame, I'll take 80% of the blame. It's my, my proud, pride, it's not humility, it's when I'm willing to humble myself that we're able to come together. And that's true in any relationship, that when two parties are willing to humble themselves, there's a great uh, opportunity for coming together and growth. When there's going to be that proud, uh, I deserve something, I, w- I need to win this argument attitude, then it just divides. So, uh, but, but here's the thing, it's easier to humble yourself then come to a place where God has to humble you. When God, I've had God humble me a couple of times, and it's, it's a painful process. It's a painful process. The good news is Peter says we can humble ourselves. And by the way, this is an ongoing process. You know, it's not like we humble ourselves once and it's done forever. Have you ever found that out? You know, it's like, you know, you have to kind of have re- revisits with humbling yourself. And so this is an ongoing thing. The second lesson that I think we can learn from this is it's wise to listen to others when they warn us about our attitude and actions. It's wise to listen to that. Daniel clearly warned the king about interpreting the dream, but the king failed to listen to Daniel's sage advice. 
not only did Daniel know the dream, but he interpreted it. And he gave this advice to the king. But God, but the, but the king did not listen to Daniel's advice. Instead, he lived out the repercussions and the fulfillment of the vision. Now, the question is, who has God sent into your life? Which, who has been your Daniel who's come into your life and tried to bring this correction, this this, they maybe have called you out or challenged you or lovingly confronted you about an attitude or an action. Something that's going on in your life that, you, that they've, they've tried to speak into your life. And what have you done? Have you shut them down? Have you said, no, I don't want to hear it? You know, where, where have you been with all of that? In other words, do you, or maybe I need to ask the question, do you even have a Daniel in your life? Do you have somebody in your life that's, that can look to you eye to eye, toe to toe, and, and, and tell you in a, in a loving way that this is, they see a pattern, they see this going on, and they're concerned about it? And, and they want to talk to you about it. Do you have somebody like that in your life? And I'm not, and sometimes that's husband and a wife relationship or a parent child, but it may be, maybe it's a man to man relationship or a woman to woman relationship. Um, now, I, listen, I know there are people out there that think they have the gift of prophets and they come into your life and they kind of just mow you down like a, like they, you know, those flamethrowers and, you know, and then they go, and, and, and brother, I love you. Right. And, and they're like, God, you know, God told me to tell you you're a jerk and you're not very good. And, and, you know, and you're going, hey, thanks for that. You know, that's, you know, blessings on you, too, you know. And <laughs> but but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody that you've invited into your life because you trust them and you're building a trust relationship. And maybe for a guy, you have another guy that, that, that can can stand toe-to-toe and eyeball-to-eyeball with you and say the hard thing that you need to hear and saying, you know, I see you going this way, man. This, this, is not, this is not good. This is not going in a good direction. And do you have a Daniel in your life? Or are you shutting them out or shutting them down? And, you know, because sometimes God brings people like that into your life. And, and you maybe you're, maybe you're here today, you're a dad and you're a man, and you, you don't admit it when you're lost, you know, the whole thing, and you don't need any help, and American society pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I get all that. And you say, man, a man is somebody who doesn't need any help. And I just want to say, you, you say, well, I, you know, you say, well, I'm like a lone ranger. I, I'm just like out there doing my own thing, and I don't need any help. And I, I got to check, didn't the lone ranger have Tonto? Yeah, so he had somebody, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, we all need somebody. Do you have somebody? you have a Tonto? Do you have a Daniel in your life? And are you willing to hear what they have to say when you need to hear it? Will you humble yourself and ask others for help? And then number three, it's necessary to change our perspective from inward to upward and outward. Pride really comes when we focus too much on ourselves. It's really what it comes down to. When you look at Nebuchadnezzar's speech, it's all about him. Look at me. Look what I've done. Look at how great the city is. And I've all done it. And I'm just amazing, aren't I? You know? Uh, and and that's, you know, that's the example that we're really familiar with, the braggart. The, you know, look at, look at what I've done and all that. But what about the person who constantly thinks too lowly of themselves? You know, some people think that's humility within the Christian circles. When you give them a compliment, oh, I'm just, I'm just a worm. I'm just like a piece of dirt. Don't, don't say that. I feel, un-, you know, and you, 
And, and, and we say, wow, they're really humble. Oh, maybe they're not, you know. <laughs> you know, um, some people think it, it, this is humility, but it's just another kind of pride. You know what it is? It's being self-obsessed. You can be self-obsessed and blow your own horn. You can be self-obsessed and just knock yourself down and just make yourself out to be nothing. Now, I want to say something. As I said, thinking too lowly of yourself or thinking too highly of yourself is pride. Just different forms of it. But there is a good pride. There is a healthy pride. I, I, I hope so. I hope you're proud of your children. I hope you're proud when you do a good job. You make something and then you go, wow, that was really good. You know, I mean, didn't God do that in the garden? I know he's God and all that stuff, but he saw all that he made. He says, that's good. That's good stuff. I hope that you feel the same way when you accomplish things, whether it's, uh, you, you know, pride in your children or jobs that you do or projects that you finish. We should celebrate those accomplishments. Why? Because we're fulfilling what God has made us to do and to be. I like what... Uh, Karen Bixson says about good, and I, I'm going to have to put a descriptor next to it, good pride, because we have this idea that pride is bad, it's always bad. It's not, if it has a proper perspective. She says, good pride is faith in the idea that God had when He made us. Good pride is faith in the idea that God had when God made us. In other words, rejoicing and enjoying how God wired us and what God wired us to be and do. When we accomplish that, we should feel good about that, good about ourselves. What I'm saying to you, if you're always putting yourself down, you can never take a compliment, and you think that's humbling yourself, I just want to say that if you constantly put yourself down, I want to hear you, I want you to hear this. You're not an accident. You, you, when you do that, you're condemning the creative hand of God, that He's made you in His image, and He has a purpose and a plan for you. And when you do that, you're basically saying, God made a piece of garbage. And he didn't. I get the whole sin thing. I get that. But there's a point where we have to understand that we have the image of God within us. And by the way, that should affect how we talk about other people. Because what we're doing is we're criticizing God's hand in other people's lives. We'd be very, very careful about that. Humility begins as we look upward. Notice Nebuchadnezzar finally came to his senses, but he did so when he did one thing. He lifted his eyes to heaven, and then he came to his senses. When we lift our eyes to heaven, you know, until we do that, until we lift our eyes to heaven, we have no real reference point to to determine who we are, why we matter, and what's our purpose. Until we look to heaven, we don't know that. Until we look to heaven, we make it up for ourselves. <laughs> there's a lot of, have you noticed that? There's a lot of people on this planet that are just kind of making it up as they go, why they exist, what their purpose is and all that. But the, ha- the point is, when he looked to heaven, he realized, hey, you know what, I'm not a cow anymore. I'm a king. There's a purpose to my life. And so, let me read you that passage, verse 34. After this time passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. I looked up to heaven. I looked up to heaven. And my sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the One who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to Him. Do you see how this, this description and this speech is so much different than the first one? 
Look at me. Look what I've done. Now he's looking to heaven. Wow, look at God. He's amazing, right? And so now, what have I found? Perspective. I found purpose. I found why I'm here. I found the purpose of my existence. See, and it all changes when we look to heaven. You see, spiritual sanity comes when we look upward. I I like what Tim Keller has said. He says, Christian humility is not thinking less of yourselves. It is thinking of yourself less. Until we have our heavenly, eternal view, we will make up our own story. But when we allow our Creator to tell our story, we find who we are, where we fit, and why we exist. Humility continues as we look not just upward, but outward. And and humility is really a kind of self-forgetfulness. Humility is demonstrated when we find ourselves thinking and acting on behalf of others. Do you see how this might bring a new energy into relationships when you stop going into a relationship saying, I need to win this argument, I need to get more, I need to get this, I need this. And you go in and say, you know, I don't need to win this argument. I don't need to to be first. I don't need to get the best. There's stuff I can give. In other words, when I come in with a prideful attitude of, what can I get? When I come with a humble attitude, what can I give? We have two people coming into a relationship saying, what can I give rather than what can I get? It changes the whole dynamic of the relationship. And it brings a new health, a new vitality, a new energy into the relationship. The last thing I want to say is this. Humility is the only way to be in a relationship with God. Um, Unless you're willing to humble yourself, you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. We need to come to a place where we understand that we are drowning in the sea of sin and we need somebody to come and rescue us. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus basically gives this concept uh, just really solid foundation. He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize they, their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then in verse 5, He says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. You see, the, the kingdom of God is about receiving help, much needed help, calling out for help. Um, Jesus said uh, in Matthew 18, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is you'll never get to heaven unless you're willing to humble yourself. Now, this is a hard thing. This is a hard thing for a guy. Because guys want to do things. They want to fix things. They want to accomplish things. They don't want to say, somebody did it for me. They want to say, I did it on my own. I did it for myself. And, and so you have to understand, salvation is all about understanding that you are drowning in a sea of sin. That you cannot save yourself. And that God knew that. The Father knew that. And He sent the Son. And Jesus came and He gave His life for you. And you have to come to a place. You know, we've all, if you've had kids or you have the kids in that age right now, there's a point where your kids are real little. And I think it gets around that concept of what Jesus is talking about. We need to become like little children. There's a point where your, your child, where you see them struggling and you say, what are you doing? Or they are, they're in over their heads and they'll, they'll say these words. I need help. I need help, Daddy. I need help, Mommy. Right? You've heard your kids say that. Some, some of you men are not willing to say to God, I need help. Because we want everybody to think we got it together, that we don't need help, that we can do it. Some of you women are that way, but I'm picking on the men today because I get to it's Father's Day. 
my choice. But some of you are not willing to say, I need help. And you do. Till you come to the place where you say, I need help, you'll never be rescued. There is no rescue for somebody who doesn't need help. Would you humble yourself and come to a place and admit you need help? When you come to that place and ask for help, help is ready and waiting. Now, some of you may say, but that seems like a sign of weakness. Real men, real strong men don't ask for help. They don't acknowledge weakness. And by the way, as a parent, as a dad, one of the most powerful things you can do for your children is to humble yourself when you blow it, when you sin, when you... You mess up and you violate the rules that you expect them to follow. You know, it's very easy for a parent to say, well, I didn't really mess up and make excuses or I'm a parent, I get to do that. You know, we've all said things like that. But in the end, that one of the most powerful, one of the best things you can do is humble yourself before your children and say, you're right, I was wrong, I did something wrong. I need you to forgive me and I need to ask God to forgive me because I'm not asking you to live up to my standard, to me. I'm asking you to look to heaven. That's a higher standard. And, and humility is about being allowed to acknowledge it when you blow it and, and, and to call out for help when you need it. And if you're not willing to do that, you know, your relationships are going to struggle. But when you're willing to break down and do that, and you say, well, that's a sign of weakness because we live in a culture that says, man up, stand up, don't admit it when you blow it, don't show any sign of weakness, don't show any humility, be proud, be, you know, arrogant, be out there, be in your face. And I just want to say the, the most powerful, the most manly man that ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says about him. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all of their names. You read through that Philippians 2 passage, that's all about humiliation. He came here and he was absolutely humiliated by his own creation. He came into his own and his own received him not. That's what John says. So Jesus came, and He's the King of kings and Lord of lords last time I checked. He's the creator of the universe last time I checked. He's the Word. And He came and humbled Himself. As He hung on the cross, He could have called down legions of angels and destroyed everyone within on the earth. But He willingly humbled Himself so that we could find salvation. I'm just saying to you, if you want forgiveness, if you want... Well, let's close with one verse. Paul says this in Luke, or Luke says this, and then I want to go to Peter, what he has to say, but let me read a couple verses. Essentially what I'm trying to say is this. Salvation comes when we stop trying to be good enough. We stop trying to save ourselves and humble ourselves and receive the gift from God. Those who continue to hold on to their own good works and deeds as a means of salvation will one day be humbled and lost forever. And that's why Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what will it be? Last verse, First Peter 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Anyone here need grace? I do. If you want grace... It comes when you humble yourself. God gives grace to people who humble themselves. You want better relationships? 
Become a little bit more transparent. Be a person of integrity. You want better relationships? Humble yourself. It will change the dynamic of your relationships. May God help us to humble ourselves so that we can find His grace, so that we can be who He's called us to be. That doesn't mean we we don't show pride in some of the things that we should show pride in. But we don't think too highly or too lowly or too much about ourselves. We, like Nebuchadnezzar, cast our eyes to heaven and find sanity and find purpose and find meaning and find why and how we should humble ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. So help us, Father, because without your help, this is something that we are not power. We have no ability to do this. We pray that you would help us to humble ourselves, to find the mercy and grace that you only offer to those who are willing to humble themselves. I pray for the men in the audience today, Father, that they would be willing to humble themselves and to be transparent and to uh, be men of integrity, to be dads that uh, when they blow it, they would acknowledge it before their children and uh, they would, uh, because their kids already know that they've messed up, they know it. But thank you, Father, for Jesus, who is the greatest example of humbling themselves, that the King of Kings became a criminal on a cross for us so that we could have forgiveness and life, joy, peace. We thank you and we give you praise and honor and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.